Welcome to Grit, Guts, and Determination, the Leadville Race Series podcast. I'm your host, Cole Clover, son of race founder, Ken Clover. And I'm going to take you on a journey of rich storytelling through our now 40-year rich history. And I invite you to sit back and listen to these eccentric stories. But don't forget to take a few notes along the way because these eccentric stories are going to have tricks and tips to get you to that line come summer. So sit back, enjoy, and then we'll see you at home. We'll see you in Leadville. Leadville family, last time we got together, you got to hear from that honorary cowboy father of mine. Well, to balance it out today, I've brought in his and my crew experience, pacer experience, and complete at-home rock, my mother, Pat Clover. She has been involved with the Leadville Trail 100 in those capacities all 40 years, Um, But she's got a lot of other impressive things that I'd like to introduce you to today. So please sit back and relax and enjoy this episode. You don't find Leadville, Leadville finds you. So, Pat Clover, when did Leadville find you? Well, we were, Ken and I were living in Denver, and we had this little boy that we wanted to grow up in a small town, walk to school where we could know our neighbors. And I think your dad found a mining job and we went to Leadville and we never looked back. It has been a perfect place. Well, now you also, uh, you know, you come from Shawnee, Oklahoma. We know this because I had that cowboy husband on last weekend and he told us but what you know, we heard from his perspective. So, what was like? What was life like growing up in Shawnee for you? You know, it was a great life. We had uh, it was a larger town. It had about thirty thousand people in it, and I really liked growing up in Shawnee. We had nice schools, churches, lots of things to do. But I truly did fall in love with Colorado. It was a difference. I, Even though I grew up in Shawnee, my parents were there, and most of my family, I loved the thought of moving to Colorado. Okay, so now tell us, when did you and Dad meet? We were, we did grow up in Shawnee, and there were about I think six elementary schools, but I met him when we went to junior high because we had gone to different elementary schools and he was in my science class. He didn't look like a scientist, but he was really (laughs) smart and he played football and I always loved to think about going with a football player, even in junior high. Well, okay, and so last week we had Dad dig into his athletic background, and we learned a little bit about that football career. What about yours? Were you athletic in high school? What did you participate in? Well, my main goal was uh, to become, I know this sounds ridiculous, but I really wanted to be a cheerleader. And in order to do that, you had to do a lot of acrobatic types of activities, but my favorite sport was always tennis. But at that time, uh, we didn't have girls' tennis teams or anything like that, but I did play tennis 
most days in the summer and in the evening out at uh, Oklahoma Baptist University had uh, tennis courts that were about four blocks away. Well, and then you also played a bunch of tennis in Leadville for how many years? <laughs> many years. You grew up on those courts. I'd go. I'd meet my friends down there at nine o'clock in the morning in the summer, and you uh, didn't. I don't know if you'd learn much about tennis, but you certainly <laughs> had fun on, on the teeter totter and the swings and all the dirt, building little uh, sand piles and different things like that. Okay, now let's get back to this Shawnee life. What kind of student were you? Tell me about yourself, and then please let us know about him, too. Well, um, I was uh, pretty studious. I prided myself in making good grades, and so I'd always uh, get—I was really overwhelmed if I didn't make an excellent uh, grade— report. At, I think it was every six weeks we <clears throat> got report cards. So I, my goal was always to make good grades. And uh, fortunately, if I studied really hard, and it was not easy for me, but if I studied really hard, I knew I could figure out the answers to those questions. Well, so now how did he do in, in high school? Well, as I had said, I met him in a science class. And it was a biology class. And if at the every Friday we'd take a test and had like 10 questions. And I'd really, really study on Thursday. <clears throat> so on Friday, I'd take the test. On Monday, our uh, instructor, our teacher, would tell the top 10 students in the class could sit at a special table. And uh, my goal was always to sit at that table. And what I found out is your dad was always sitting at that table also, but he had never studied. And that really <laughs> made me mad. I thought, you didn't even crack a book and you knew all the answers. Uh, so anyway, that was kind of the first time, but um, that did disturb me. He made very good grades in junior high without studying at all. I think he was not as focused on grade points or report cards at all, but he was always a great football player, and that was where, and he supported basketball, but to my knowledge, I couldn't remember him playing basketball, but so that was not his focus, grade points, but it definitely, he could get through almost any class without studying, which really kind of ticked me off. Okay, well, so... I can understand that, but I, I was always just a bad student, as you know. Well, so, okay, you go to college. What was college like for you? I imagine maybe you got some revenge on him through this point. Well, uh, we started out at the University of uh, Oklahoma, and I, it was a very, very competitive school. And I think that, once again, I was really concerned about that GPA all away, every day, every mm -hmm. semester. And your dad had been such accustomed to just being able to take a test that he would normally do that. However, I don't think he was invited back to the <laughs> University of Oklahoma. <laughs> I believe that's when we both came back to Shawnee and went to Oklahoma Baptist University. 
Well, he did speak about his brief military career in between. (laughs) Absolutely. And uh, when I was determined to finish uh, my bachelor's in uh, four years, uh, he did then go to the Army. uh, And uh, I think he really found out while he was in the Army that he really saw the benefit and his goals changed a little bit in, in going to the university. But he did not do that until after I got out of uh, university. Okay. So you both find your way out of university. You, you decide you're going to break out of Oklahoma. Why? Is Colorado the only place you want to go? Is that where your sights were set? Uh, absolutely. Um, we had uh, vacationed in southern Colorado with my sister and her family, and we'd go on camping trips the first week or two in August, and we just loved it. And uh, the thought of skiing here was great, and uh, it was just amazing. We never thought, to my knowledge, of ever going anyplace else. It was, uh, we're going to Colorado, now we got to figure out what we can do. And of course, I wanted to teach. I was a teacher, and I wanted to teach teach in Jefferson County schools because, number one, it was the largest school district in Colorado, and it had a wonderful reputation of treating the students uh, right, correctly, Uh and uh, it was an honor to become a teacher in Jefferson County public schools at that time. Okay, so you're doing that. Um, What did Dad do? Did he have work already lined up? Uh, Yes, he did. He uh, worked for Liberty Mutual Insurance, uh, primarily uh, the entire time we were here, here being in Colorado and Denver, because we stayed about, I think, seven years here. Okay. Now, that yeah, then you tell me Leadville found you. When was that? That was in 1976. You were about two years old, and I was getting very concerned uh, because at that time there was something called busing of youngsters, and we'd bus them for different reasons to other parts of the school district. And even though we lived close to a really nice school, it looked like that might not have been where you would go to school. And your dad truly had taken up the sport of hunting and hunted over there on uh, the bear ranch with golden bear and uh, he loved that part of the state and we thought about going there but it uh, became evident that we fell in love with Leadville because there was uh, a nice job the mine was very successful and if I wanted to work the schools were doing quite well. Okay, so dad's a minor. If you wanted to work, schools are doing well. Let's skip to 1982. What happened? We've heard it from dad, but what do you remember about that day, that time? Well, it's uh, uh, my feeling about it is very reflective of what your dad had said. Life was going pretty well. There were actually only two houses for sale when we moved there because it was so lucrative. Uh, where the men primarily would work in the mine when they got out of high school. They d- actually didn't need any further education. I think it was an age limit thing. 
And uh, then I could teach school, which I was teaching as a substitute, then moved on to uh, teach full time. And there had always been rumors when uh, I met some of the uh, people that were in management up there, or their wives rather, there had always been a rumor that there was a concern about the ore body of the mine. And if it didn't hold, they might have to tighten up the mine or go to partial mining. And so I thought, well, that, that could be, but mine, the ore body has been there for years, so I didn't even really consider that. But it was a shock, even though we thought the mine would go on as, I kept hearing, it'll go on for another 15 years. And that was in 1980, I heard that. And uh, we won't have any problems. So when your dad came home and everything had just shut down, it was such a shock and it was uh, truly devastating to most of the families because they only had one person working and they had immediately, they had to think about relocation or what could they do to provide uh, enough money to live in Leadville at that time. But your dad really took it emotionally very hard. I did too. However, I thought, you know, Leadville, I think, is the place we want to be, and we're going to be okay. We'll figure it out. We'll take it one step at a time. So I uh, just kept thinking, we're going to be okay. Uh, But it was a very difficult time uh, for all the families. They closed two of five schools within like uh, 12 months. And uh, all most of the parents that had really nice jobs were then going over the hill, as they say, to work uh, as mostly domestics. And that put such a hardship on the families because they had to leave their children at six in the morning and they couldn't necessarily get back until six at night. And child care was a problem. And the school district stepped up and helped in that area. Okay. Okay. Now then we know uh, a little bit of dad's story here. Dick Lamb comes to town. Then Governor Dick Lamb offers some advice. Dad finds a mission to start the Leadville Trail 100. Um, We know a little bit of story about how he he met Mary Lee to get some help. Uh, She was a travel agent in town. Nobody was traveling with that mind closed. But he always did seem to keep you a bit separate from it. Was that an intentional thing? What was what was the thought process there? You know, it seemed like I was uh, pretty focused not on uh, only uh, helping you grow up, keeping the home front, and we bought this really old house that we worked on and put back together, so to speak. And uh, I was always a teacher. And also, right about that time, I decided uh, I should get my master's. And the University of Colorado brought parts of that education to Summit County and Leadville. And in uh, addition to that, in 1986, I uh, ran for school board and I served on the school board 
for nine years. And so I spent a great deal of time either, well, actually both, teaching and being a school board member. And I was extremely supportive of uh, the Leadville Trail 100, the activity it brought to town, but also your father became such a great athlete at not football playing, but <laughs> running. And I didn't know he could run any, at all. I mean, I just thought he never would run. And and he decided he was going to run the borough race. And then he decided, and we had gone to Western States and he had uh, finished that race. And I saw how, what a great impact that running uh family or organization out there that your dad and Marilee set up as a family back in Leadville could make on the community. So I pretty much stayed in the background, always being crew or pacer. I went over Hope Pass with your dad a couple of times. Oh, we're going to dig into that in a while. <laughs> and then um, it was just, and I'd sell t-shirts and things like that. Nothing, uh, not really the decision making of the race, but completely supportive of it. Well, sure. And now a lot of people that don't know dad is, you know, his his involvement is founding Leadville Trail 100, but know him, the rest seem to know him as this politician, which is kind of the path he'd taken to keep us in Leadville. Um, but we always thought, of course, because he's, you know, my dad and your husband, uh, what a great job he did at that. And we always wanted him to go on. He just maybe didn't seem enough puppet one side the other to maybe make those national political seats. But I remember that's where we thought life was going. When Senator Nighthorse Campbell had taken the seat as a Democrat, switched to a Republican, and Bush got hired, and we thought Dad was going to take that seat because Campbell would get appointed. But that is not at all what happened. And that kind of had a big difference in all of our lives going forward. Do you want to tell us about what happened? Uh, well, your dad was a very successful uh, politician and uh, the Republican Party in Leadville, which is a very small group, uh, invited him to run for a couple of offices. He had been a uh, county commissioner, then to run for state representative against a very um, successful uh, rancher and uh, a Democrat. And your dad was just such a great politician, and he did that and in fact, stayed in the state house for 18 years. Uh, the last, uh, and then was termed out, as they say, spent eight years in the Senate. And at that time, when he was elected to the Senate in 1996, I had left the local school board and ran for the state board of education. So I took this uh, seat as uh, the member of the State Board of Education for the 3rd Congressional District, while your dad was uh, a senator. He did uh, was very active in the first President Bush's campaign. And then when uh, George W. Uh, won, uh, there was an opening uh, for an education person from Colorado as the Secretary of Education's regional representative. 
and I had the honor of serving the president in 2000 to 2009. And uh, your dad had then become, was as I said, turned out as a state senator and then had become more involved in the race itself. And it had grown by leaps and bounds and took more time, took more responsibility. There was more involved than just giving somebody an application, filling it out and shooting the gun. There was a, a great deal of organization that he and Marilee could successfully put together. Okay, so... Um... But then what did you, so then you do all this stuff as your career. Let's get back a little bit to your involvement in the race like we were talking about. You definitely don't have time, just as you said, he and Mary Lee have all the time in the world to grow this thing, make it very successful. So let's get back to those crewing and pacing duties. And for those of you who don't know, um, my mother has actually tirelessly crewed in every Leadville Trail 100 uh, year runner bike. Um, so she's overdue and we are thankless to her and very not appreciative and and uh, have to apologize. But so you helped dad in what capacities and what was that like? Well, um, the first time he uh, ran, it seems like he didn't make the cutoff. And what was uh, apparent, and I was really not. He got lost in hypothermia. Yeah, yes, <laughs> and, and that was in the Twin Lakes area. That was before. Uh, and, and, of course, I didn't know where the trail was or anything else. It just was like Marilee said, do you think you could go run with him? I couldn't even find him, much less go run with him. And then by this time, he'd come into Twin Lakes Inn, and he was totally hypothermic, and, and it was uh, just kind of uh, a train wreck. And um, so it became apparent that he needed a crew and perhaps pacers, which I had definitely tried to do. I in uh, Western states, I had been a pacer and it was pretty well organized. So I was mainly focused on crewing, being sure that he had uh, the clothing, the food, the shoes, any medications he might need at when I could access him, either Winfield, Twin Lakes, Half Moon. I even would drive the old orange van into Half Moon. Now they wouldn't even let you think about going into Half Moon, but at that time, we did that, and uh, I found it just wonderful to see these athletes, men and women, that were just out there, and they were going through such extraordinary experiences, and when they could uh, realize their dream of finishing, it wasn't like most races I had been around would only focus on the winners. These people are their winners. It's wonderful to have winners, but what the um, Leadville race provides is support for everybody, and you are a winner if you finish. Okay. So now, was Dad easy to crew for? Oh, my goodness, no. <laughs> he was just horrible. He would, one, one year he, he had uh, got this idea. He wanted like fried chicken at Winfield. And um, 
mashed potatoes and gravy. And I thought, well, I can figure that out, you know, and I take it. Oh, my goodness. It was just wonderful. And then by the time he went over up past and came back uh, to Twin Lakes, you know, his stomach was really upset and everything. And just the sight of food was making him sick. So the next <laughs> year he didn't even think about it. I didn't think about it. I thought that's what he wants is chicken and fried and mashed potatoes and gravy. And he, oh my goodness, he was just terrible. He <laughs> he couldn't stand it. He could, don't you have any other thing? And it was just one thing after another. Um, but uh, we kind of lived through it. You included. You were right there, always running. If you could see your dad out there, you'd run him up and take, get his bottle or his uh, his little uh, belt, but where he kept his uh, jacket and everything, so we could reload it. Well, okay. Now, so he's pretty difficult. At some, surely, I must have been better to crew for, huh? No, <laughs> no, no. Absolutely not. You, just like your father, I'm supposed to read your mind. Is what? The, oh my goodness! No, he does not want a turkey wrap. He wants peanut butter and honey sandwiches. Why didn't I think of that? I don't know. But, but uh, the one thing that uh, has happened with you, you're very well organized, and I, I keep copious notes from year to year as exactly what you really needed to get down the road. Uh, however, you you can be rather difficult if uh, everybody <laughs> isn't in the right place. And so uh, we really have worked on that. And a couple of times I missed you and it was just a mess because I thought we were going to meet on the south side or the north side of the dam instead of the south side and things of that nature. But absolutely, you were a great athlete, so you could go ahead and handle it. Well, we should bring up to my Leadville family that you missed me more in the run than in the bike. So, but no, which, so what experience, what was that like? So dad always did the run and, you know, the first, I guess, like almost a couple decades of the run, that's all you knew was crewing the run. And then here I come on and I start doing the bike. What were some of the differences you can relay to your Leadville family? Well, in the, the run, uh, I had to be extremely thoughtful of what I could carry into uh, May Queen because the parking was uh, very far away from where, where you could see your athlete. And I had to have uh, usually going outward, uh, I had to have a change of either shoes or be sure you the sun had come up, sunglasses and things like that. So I really had to be thoughtful to take things uh, for the run at each place. And I kind of established or a routine or your dad did. I really think I'm going to need to change my shoes at the fish hatchery. I, I really think I've got to change my shirt. And always before going over Hope Pass, you had to have gloves, a hat and jacket even if it was a bright, sunny day and it was very hot. And so that was the kind of thing. With bike, 
it's so instantaneous, it's so fast that uh, there were only a couple places I could see you. And it was difficult at first. When you first started the bike, I actually carried a wheel with me. I just loved it. <laughs> I was carrying a wheel. You're bringing and, up some sore subjects, lady. <laughs> it was just terrible. And then someone would say, you can't carry that wheel to this place because you can only see your athlete on this place. And I'd have to pick up the wheel and the the food and go to another place and so uh but we uh, and then i i to my knowledge every time you had a mechanical i wasn't there with the right thing so <laughs> but what uh happened is not only you but uh other people at the aid stations became resourceful and when, and when a rider would come in with a flat, does anybody have this tire? Can you help with something? And that's where it really came evident that everybody wanted the athlete to finish. Everybody. You didn't have to say, well, I don't have anything. You could uh, look around and people would come to your help. Okay. Well, so now I say it every year that I need to get together a new crew because you deserve a rest. And then every year I fall back and have you blazing your little trail right on out there to help me. So, you know, what's kept you going? It's, I mean, it's really such a thankless job. It's probably the most thankless with my father and myself. And I don't know anybody to match your time out there. I mean, God bless her, including Sandy Monahan. So what has kept you so invested? Well, I just uh, thoroughly enjoy my family being successful, and even the times when the times go bad, uh, like uh, this year, we had some uh, major hurdles. I had a friend with me, Sharon Dunoff from California, whose uh, husband was a bike rider and a runner here, and uh, <laughs> I have not been able to see the start of the race <laughs> for I can't tell you how many years now because if I don't get to the dam uh, <laughs> before you start, I think you start at 630, yes. I get out there before six because uh, to, not to have my car out there just to get the things that I need at the top of the dam, but uh, we're just absolutely uh, – fixated myself and my friends, the Monahans and the Dunoffs on seeing you be successful as you can be. And like this year, it was like nip and tuck all the way. I usually, I have all your times down for the last five years uh -huh. and I knew exactly when you needed to be there. And oh my goodness, I didn't think you were going to be there. <laughs> and then, then, oh no, the time's been extended. You remember that when I thought, no, I don't remember it. But anyway, um, it did work out. And I do think as a crew person, I always keep up with those times. So whether sometimes the athlete is so absorbed in what they were doing, and I know one time your dad was pretty oblivious to the time and didn't make a cutoff, and I really think he could have. But uh, you want to just uh, encourage the athlete and let them know you're, you're close, you're close to cutoff, you're going to make it, You've got some time. Don't sit down at the aid stations. <laughs> That's my main motto, even though I do have a chair in case you need to. Well, yes, and that's super important advice. So for our Leadville family of all these years, run, bike, or both, 
What's another crucial mistake that you see being made over and over by other people or dad, myself, anyone out there? Uh, I think sometimes the I have noticed most of the crews are really attuned to what their athlete can do and their family members. Uh, sometimes I've noticed they uh, have rigid uh, numbers. They're, they should be here in the next 10 minutes. And if they aren't there in the next 10 minutes, the crew gets upset. And I think uh, also sometimes the crew is a little too sympathetic with the athlete and wants them to sit down and relax. And really, they probably shouldn't, especially if they're pushing those cutoffs. They should give them some nutrition, but stand there because once the athlete sits down, uh, it's really difficult to catch up. So you really kind of have to watch. It seems like to me, those are the biggest uh, problems. There's a, a either too sympathetic or so rigid on the times that they have established. That's very great advice. Okay, now how has Leadville changed you? You know, it. I think uh, mainly when we went there, I, I never ran a step any place. You know, I played tennis a lot. And it's just a healthy way of life. And I have seen it in our family how you have to establish personal goals. I'm going to run 50 miles this week or a 25-mile run. It, it really establishes uh, good health um, standards for you and to be competitive. Know a little bit about what other athletes are doing for sure, but really set your own standards. And I think with myself, your dad gave me a big black lab one year, and I'd never even seen one. And uh, I, his name was Tide, and he ended up uh, for at least 10 years running with me in the mountains and my friend Pat Winslow. We would go running over the hills. We did every step of the Leadville 100, not in one day. <laughs> we did it probably in a few weeks, but uh, it was encouraging to change my lifestyle to be outside and enjoy it thoroughly and not be apprehensive of doing it. And you really didn't have to tell yourself to eat better food or uh, anything of that nature. You just knew it worked better for you. You felt better. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you've had a very full career. You retired as a teacher. You went on to work for the President of the United States. You've served on countless boards, including for Jared Polis on one of his COVID deals. Um, you're still crewing me to this day. What's next for Pat Clover? You know, at this point, I'm still very vested in the success of Colorado Mountain College. And they have been so successful. I spent eight years as a trustee for them. Now I'm on the president, that means Carrie Hauser's uh, advisory board, which meets annually. And this next week I'm going to, uh, or actually it's this week, 
I'm going to a meeting in Glenwood where the governor will be and a number of other universities to see how we can best meet the needs of Coloradans in their higher education because they can't always drop everything and go to a big school. Well, that's great because full circle Leadville Trill 100 Legacy Foundation will keep giving out those scholarships and pretty much pay for this kid's education if they want to go to that school, that college. Absolutely. Well, Mother, it's always such a pleasure to be with you. We do so many things together, but this has been a lot of fun. Um, I hope you've had fun, and thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It's been great. Love ya. Love you. Well, there you go, Leadville family. I'm trying to give you just a little bit quicker episode, but that was very in-depth uh, dive with my mother. I hope you learned a lot about her and a little bit about what you should be doing with your crew and pacers while you're out there. And as always, uh, we want you to go give us a like and subscribe wherever you're getting your podcasts. And no, we can't wait to see you at home. We can't wait to see you in Leadville.